Welcome to Dragon Babies. Hello. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And this week we are discussing our first book that has dragons in it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Might seem a little bit ridiculous because our Momentous. podcast is called Dragon Babies, but dragon being a dragon baby, it's a state of mind. Also, there are dragons in the Tortal universe. So. Yeah, yes, yeah. they exist. We haven't, but we haven't met any yet. But this first week, dragons. we'll be dealing with dragons, not <laughs> just reading them. Um, because that's the book we're reading. It's by Patricia C. Reedy, and it's the first book in the Enchanted Forest Chronicles. Just a quick little book summary for those who have not been introduced to the Enchanted Forest Chronicles. Madeline and I really just dive right in, and we do not describe the plot. Um, this book centers around Simmering, a princess raised in a kingdom in which things are done in a very specific way. It's a fractured fairy tale, and everyone plays into their preset fairy tale role. And Simmerin really doesn't want to marry an insipid prince, so she decides to run away. And in doing so, she meets a group of dragons and becomes one of the dragon's princesses, which is a set role in which the princess acts as a servant and captive until they're rescued by a knight, at which point they marry that knight and live happily ever after. Serene doesn't want to do that either. She rejects the knights who come to try to save her and eventually puts up a pretty brilliant sign on the path telling them that the road is out. Uh, but along the way, she cleans, cooks, hangs out, gets to know the other creatures living in the mountains of mourning and ultimately saves the dragons from some pretty evil wizards so sounds like a lot of fun doesn't it so this book came out in 1990 and the year i was born the year madeline was born and i think i first read it when i was probably about nine um and it was extremely important to me I went on to write my own books about dragons as a child. Mm -hmm. um, I wish I could. I wish I could have found the one that I printed out and illustrated because I wanted to check on do a reading, just maybe. how much plot theft there was. <laughs> um, because I shamelessly stole from all four of the Enchanted Forest Chronicles. Some of the names are the same. There are plot points that are identical. Um, I loved the word Albarolingarn, and I used that as a character's name. I mean, just the exact same word, but no one else had read these books in my class. I, I used these books for an Oh, you used them in school. Too. Okay, yeah. I was, because I was going to say, well, that's pretty well, normal kids lifting from their favorite media, but you actually used it as an well, assignment. But I also <laughs> was, I mean, I was creating oh, no. an assignment yeah. that didn't really exist. We were supposed to write, like, a book and put it in those white, empty, oh, pre-bound. Yeah. I miss those. We um, should get a hold of some of those, like picture books, mm -hmm. uh, which were really fun. And everyone else in my class did something pretty low-key. Mine was um, there was so much text that there was barely room for illustrations because in order to fill the book and yeah. make it work uh -huh. with the story I had already written, it um, yeah took up a lot of space. This book and all the books are what made me obsessed with dragons. I 
think that this particular type of dragon is really interesting too, where they're more like humans than they yeah. are like monsters. Mm -hmm. um, they have very human tastes and they just exist within a world that humans live in and then kind of take advantage of all of the human things. And they don't respect humans or like humans. Yeah. In the there is an existing hierarchy of beings of different types of beings in this book mm -hmm. and I'm sure that whoever you depending on who you talk to they'll say that someone different is at the top but you can tell that from the dragon's point of view they are the superior creatures they're definitely the sort of apex creatures in this mm -hmm. hierarchical system mm -hmm. and then there is kind of a mixed layer of witches, giants, dwarves. And there's some very fringe characters too who you will, especially in this book, you're you're only meeting a few representatives mm -hmm. of each different sector. So you're, especially with um, with a witch, mm -hmm. is who I think of. One. Yeah, if it's just her, if there are other witches, or if she's just kind of some, you know, which I kind of like that, they, that she left it, in, at least in this book, mostly ambiguous. I like that too. Um, I mean, it's also, it's hard to tell, it's hard to see different, some characters as individuals because they're so defined by their group. I mean, the wizards especially. It feels like all wizards are power-hungry nightmares. Yeah, they're just not um, a lot of fun. But the way that they function is stealing others' magic. Yeah. So it would be really difficult They're magic vampires to exist <laughs> in a way where you're being totally consensual with everyone around you. The, the wizard's curse. But the wizards don't feel bad about it at all. I mean, I don't think it is a curse. <laughs> the wizards curse an amazing place. Um, they it's true. They don't, they don't seem to be the brood type of vampiric <laughs> no, wizard. They, they revel in just taking as much power as they can. Yeah. They don't care about taking lives. Even the fact that they kill the king of the dragons in order to essentially gain it's very flippant more power um, is that's a big step. Like, yeah, that's, that's a pretty significant thing to do. And you're also basically starting a war with the dragons. Um, one which, in the short term, the dragons come out on top. I mean, they banish the wizards from the mountains. Mm -hmm. At the end of the book, it says there are dragons searching yeah. the mountains to make sure all the wizards are gone. In the long run, the wizards do some pretty horrifying things as this series goes on that end with Simreen and her son um, essentially living in exile and awaiting him coming of age so that he can save his father from a frozen castle. All because of the wizards. I haven't read these. I mean, this is the first time I read this in a long time. <laughs> I think you reread them more than me. Um, it, yeah. You were older when you read them first. I Yeah, well, that, I mean, what was your, how old were you when you first read these and what did you think of these books? Do you remember? Um, I was quite young as well. And I actually, uh, it was a little bit difficult for me going through this book because to figure out when I had memories of it as a child, because more so I'm getting nostalgia and deja vu back to the book that, that you wrote mm. and the stories that you wrote. And we About went, Apogee? Yeah, 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 because it was very a similar vibe. They were satisfying 
the characters in them are very efficient. Mm-hmm. They do things mm-hmm. right away. Uh, they're really they're easy very to practical, read. practical, yeah. the characters, mm-hmm. which I think is soothing. Yeah. Especially because, to a child. Yeah, they figure out what the problem is, and then they go right in with their solutions. They're, the action goes, like, really quickly. There aren't breaks in it. There aren't long meandering uh, asides and side characters. The side characters that there are are have important functions. So, yeah, they're very satisfying for a child. And I think, so Patricia C. Reedy actually said that um, she hadn't really written books for children until she started writing these. Mm. I, I think until talking until talking to dragons. Um, which is really surprising because they come off as pretty masterful. And I think that they're also a really good stepping stone to other works of fantasy because they're fractured fairy tales. Mm-hmm. So they're working yeah. with these tropes that kids are already familiar with just from the most basic mm-hmm. of stories. Um, and then which, subverting them in a really fun way. Exactly. In very modern ways um, mm. because there are the dragons, for example, don't care about gender. Mm. Um, their royalty is non-gendered and I believe that later in the books that Kazul talks a little bit more about just dragons as creatures and reveals that the dragons actually choose their gender no, identities. I, I think it's when Simarine meets the dragons at the very beginning. At one point she she says there was a dragon mm-hmm. who she couldn't tell its gender because it was too young to have decided what gender right, it wanted right. to be too, yet. too young to have decided yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And it also, uh, Simarine was also, when Kazul talked to her about why would I want to be a queen, that's a terrible job, mm-hmm. you know. That's a boring job. Yeah, uh, I can be king if I want, it doesn't matter if I'm a female dragon. And Simmering kind of struck grapples with it because it's confusing to her and her worldview, which I also thought was great because they, they were being like, you know, this this might be a shift for someone, but it's but it's one that can be very comfortable, especially if someone's explaining it that it exists within that world. Exactly. I actually copied that passage because I was, I really liked the way it was handled, um, because Kazul is talking about. She's talking about the roles, and she says, King is the name of the job. It doesn't matter who holds it. Then Simrine says, You mean the title is the same no matter who the ruler is? Because Will says, That's right. We like to keep things simple. Simrine <laughs> says, Oh. And Simrine decided to return to the original topic of conversation before the dragon's simple ideas confused her any further. Um, <laughs> That's great. No, and it's being presented in a way where it's it's not difficult mm-hmm. yeah and it does make so much sense mm-hmm. I always loved that about these books when I was a kid and I'm really struck by it coming back to it as an adult mm-hmm. um, with Simmerine especially um, she is obviously bad as Lady Meter she's mm-hmm. at the top mm-hmm. with everybody, everybody else <laughs> go to the same parties this segment even less interesting <laughs> but the majority of the characters in this book are also women and it easily passes the Bechdel test oh yeah um, Simmerine says that she doesn't want to get married and she wants to have an adventure and mm-hmm. she does that mm-hmm. um, but 
there's also, you know, she understands the other princesses that do want to get rescued and get married, and mm-hmm. she sets Eleonora up at the end of the book. Yeah, she's not derisive of yeah. them. She just doesn't she do- want She doesn't it. judge. Yeah. Um, she no. doesn't like it if other people judge her, but, right. you know, she managed to get along fine, even with the crummy princess who well, she set up, and, you know, she helped her out. Yeah, she, she did. She solved her problem by making other people happy. Well... Something that I think is so funny about Simreen is that she exists in a world that is shaped by and um, just controlled by specific fairy tale themes. Mm-hmm. Um, rules. They're very strong rules. Right. So, so, something ranging from fairies showing up to curse babies. Mm-hmm. Um, going from that to the rule of birth within a family and like what each child would need to do and Mm -hmm. how it okay it makes sense for Simreen to be uh, when she first runs away everyone thinks oh okay she's just trying to kickstart her rescue Mm -hmm. so that she can get a knight to marry Um, no one ever thinks that she's trying to do anything else and Simreen is so frustrated by Uh these rules and it feels like she's just in a society that she should not exist in. Yeah. Um, like, she is... It feels like she came from the real world, almost, or our world. Someone uh-huh. who is like, okay, no, I want to live out my this life is dumb. the way I'm choosing. You people don't have to be like this. It's not... <laughs> the supposed-to-be rules mm-hmm. were created yeah. by us. We can change them at yeah. any time. Uh-huh. Um, but no one engages with her. She's definitely not a... Um, you know, if, if we're throwback to Halloween Castle, where Sophie is like, "Oh, I'm the eldest daughter. And, like, life's gonna be a bummer. I don't have anything exciting in store." And she's like, feels so trapped in that. Simmering does not feel trapped, even though she's a princess and there are very strict rules about what she's supposed to do. Right. She just straight up just rejects it. She does. Um, she she wants to reject it so much that when a frog just tells her you should do this she is just out she's like okay this seems like a chance goodbye <laughs> yeah a kind of sketchy frog the frog was sketchy <laughs> which you know begs the question like should you listen to frogs talked? <laughs> i mean if we're carrying this through because it rapidly becomes apparent that yes the lesson is you should you should you listen should. to frogs but if she hadn't possessed the pretty remarkable sense of self that she does she could have run into something pretty awful in the cave with all the dragons i mean yeah they would have just eaten her yeah they would have just wanted to but since she was cool they wanted they were like okay you could stay (laughs) well i think it's pretty funny that one of the only times the dragons do talk about eating other living things is in that first cave when roxham says he had to no he says i ran into a wizard had to eat him couldn't be bothered (laughs) Which pretty clearly sets the stage for the way wizards are viewed in in all of these books. Subhuman. But they are terrible. I mean, yeah, they're really crappy. Terrible. They just have no redeeming characteristics. They're they're just, they're nightmare people. It's, okay, so I thought a lot about the magical system in this book, Mm -hmm. um, because that's something that we've been talking about Mm -hmm. more and more, um, and just kind of determining what makes sense to us and what's right which of course doesn't really it's not a term you could really apply because it's magic it's all invented it can be whatever the author wants it to be but fantasy 
the best fantasy books find a really good medium between explaining enough that it feels ordered and brings it to life, right? but they don't get into the territory um, where they're just like, over explaining the heck out of it and right. it gets down to the point where you're like stop stop well and this, this is it's what magic this is what we've been discussing <laughs> yeah uh-huh. so it's um, practically a, a mini segment so in this we should think of a name for it <laughs> we'll start working on this <laughs> in this book um the magic system is pretty traditional there are spells that have predetermined rules um words ingredients mm-hmm. things like that that you need to seek out and put together. Mm-hmm. And if hen's teeth are involved, God help you, because apparently they Sounds are Im- really difficult. Possible to find. Yeah, um, at the end where Morwen was like, Yeah, it'll I need take a me a few down. hundred years to track down some but hen's teeth. Did Serene use all of the hen's teeth? Why didn't she ask the djinn for a lot, like a large jar it, of hen's that teeth? That part has always bothered me. I wish she had asked for like a room in the caves to be filled with hen's teeth or something, but she didn't want to get greedy because at that point she was already feeling like they had lucked their way. What she should have done situation. is ask for a vessel that you put the jar on and then it's like a room of requirement thing and then you take the lid off and it's like, oh, that's just what I was thinking about that I needed. I know, but there's so many rules involved there. I know. I'm, I'm just spitballing here. <laughs> I actually, I love that whole gin scene. Um, for many reasons, but it's fun to see Prince Therendil uh-huh. actually being a person and not yeah. just playing into his own role so that just he being feels an archetype. is set out yeah. for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and the two of them are actually a pretty good team together. Like, they make it through. <laughs> Obviously, the djinn wouldn't have been freed if he hadn't pulled the stopper from but the bottle. But it worked out really well for Simmering because mm-hmm. otherwise, like, Morwen doesn't even know where to get hen's teeth. No, she was not getting those Simmering would have then been burned to death when Kazul came back and that's pretty grim You're it right. was yeah. what what happens in that moment I can't remember it's what happens a, but she has the dragon's bane and she's is it when she it is when she has the yeah, dragon's bane and, and then that's saying, what like, Kazul is angry the wizard that's when Kazul well, singes it. the dragon's bane and gets the smoke mm-hmm. into yeah. her nostrils yeah because she wants it to like go away and then she's also like really it was like both fear and I think it was, it was an reaction accident. yeah yeah it kind of seemed like she was just trying to get rid of it but also she's freaking I out. don't think she was trying to do anything I think she just freaked out oh, okay because she wouldn't have set Simmering on she fire would, yeah she wouldn't have murdered <laughs> she didn't, Simmering yeah she didn't even know about the that this you're right I'm thinking about it more that would have been not cool. <laughs> Although Kazul's attitude towards Simrine is interesting, um, their friendship slash working relationship is pretty unique. Yeah, um, they do. They do like one another, and but they enjoy spending time together. It's not the warmest friendship. It's not, and it's clear that Simrine is her servant. Yeah, um, that is the contract that they entered into mm-hmm. that she would be a dragon's so princess, nice. yeah. which who is a, a captive. Mm-hmm. Um, and does whatever the dragon wants. But then at the end, when Simmerine is explaining what happened with the trials and with them catching the wizards mm-hmm. um, after Kazul has been made king, Kazul mm. doesn't immediately even believe Simmerine. And I, it's hard to tell if some of that is just show, like, okay, I'm yeah. the king now, so I need to hear this out and like let everyone see what happened. But it is, there isn't between them 
like you said, there isn't a lot of warmth. Mm -hmm. There isn't an instant, like, I trust you. But I don't think dragons do trust humans at large. But I think that I do, like, I never had a worry ever when I was reading this book. As soon as I became a parent that Kazul was the king, I was just immediately, okay, so it's it's fine. Um, because, yes, Kazul doesn't immediately say, that's my princess, she's right, kill the traitor. She says, like, let's listen to it all. But she's king now, so she has mm-hmm. to, you know, even no matter how obvious the situation is, she can't just dispatch him like she has to go through the proper channels so I think like you said it's it's a king thing yeah I mean I guess the point I'm trying to get at is that I think humans are terrible enough in Mm. this world that other beings just don't have any interest in listening to what they have to say because Cimmerian is ignored by the dragons again and again um, especially the the ones who the ones who don't know her are very quick to overlook the things she says. And other creatures like the crow who gives Simrin its forfeit, yeah. comments that it's stunned that someone yeah. intelligent uh-huh. got the forfeit yeah. and is actually asking questions about uh-huh. it. And specifically says, finally, a, like a human who's smart enough to handle this. Yeah, you're right. Simrin is a, a special kind of human who's not a she is. dimbo dumb. Well, and I think that also goes back to her fighting against her role. Everyone else just it's kind of just drifts like, along. Like they're born by the fairy tale uh-huh. current. Yeah. And everything happens in they their lives the way it's supposed to mm-hmm. based on their circumstances. Yeah. So I feel like she's kind of a revolutionary. I think it's cool that she is able to even break free. It seems like it's so hard for anyone else. Yeah, yeah. Even someone like someone like Therindil, where mm-hmm. y- even in moments where he's trying to like, oh, okay, I'll just talk to this person, mm-hmm. talk to Simmerine like a human, he still ends up snapping back into, oh, okay, well, we need to go now. Like, mm-hmm. I need to rescue you. Or with the Stone Prince, he was not mm-hmm. able to like. He ended up fulfilling his destiny yeah. and rescuing and rescuing Alienora, the princess. Yeah. And yeah, she got re- like everyone around her is still falling into these channels, mm-hmm. but she pushes against the current. Yeah, yeah she does. Um, which is another reason why I think she is pretty special. Mm-hmm. The bulk of the book really is mundane daily activities. Um, mm-hmm. We essentially picked another book about the power of cleaning uh, following Hal's moving castle. Guys, cleaning is really therapeutic. <laughs> I, it's true. And even life-saving in this book because <laughs> soapy water mixed with just a little bit of lemon juice melts wizards. Yeah, the Wonk's bad guys. And this is a device that's used throughout the Enchanted Forest Chronicles. Eventually they came up with a spell for it so that mm-hmm. you can say a word and create soapy water to melt a wizard. Well, Grace is doing that thing again where she goes into different books. Oh, but I, okay, I don't think anyone's freaking out right now knowing about the Spoiler soapy alert, water. Grace. But but that remains the best weapon against wizards that anyone has had. I don't know if the dragons have needed real weapons against them prior to this point because I don't think there's been an organized them. wizard them, uprising. Even they were allergic to them. Right. Like, it was exactly. not a problem. Um, also, the wizards die like flies. They are like stormtroopers, but then they goblins. Can come back. I mean, they say that's a good point. As they're melted, but still, it's pretty easy to incapacitate them for at least an amount of time. 
Well, okay, this is something I didn't finish when I was talking about the magic systems. Sorry, I feel like we are really all over the place today, but that's okay. It's that's good. fine. Just ride along with the ramble. <laughs> um, it seems like some beings have magic within themselves. They have inherent magical stuff. Okay. And then others need to either learn how to find and control magic, Mm -hmm. which also seems to, you know, run through the outer world, Mm -hmm. or they need to steal it. Yeah. Because wizard staves, here, I also copied a little passage when Kazul was talking about this. Wizard staffs absorb magic from whatever happens to be nearby. That's why they're always hanging out places like the Mountains of Morning and the Enchanted Forest. The more magic there is in the area, the more their staffs can soak up. <laughs> where where do the wizards live? <laughs> no one wants Away them. Away from everyone else. They're always hanging around. I kind of imagine they have a big like stone citadel or something like with a big library and junk I don't know yeah, but they, we learn more about them later I can't remember the they're details. like crappy enough where I wouldn't be surprised if they don't have a particularly grand base like it's it's kind of uh gross mm-hmm. this is what I'm just imagining here I don't not based in the books, but I'm just imagining... We're going, going into Madeline's mind now. That, that could be a segment. If I wrote accompanying <laughs> books... If I wrote a similar book with the same characters... Exploring the background of this world, they, they just live in like a bit... I, it's like howl. They're, they do mm. not take care of their stuff, I bet. No. Also, Morwen can't be melted by soapy water because she lives clean. I know. So <laughs> it's the power I of plain living. The, the wizards have filthy lodgings. I know. I, I think about that too. Mm-hmm. And because they always have the same ropes on, <laughs> just from a practical point yeah, of view, yeah, I'm yeah, always like, true. oh, filthy. Mm-hmm. Like only Gandalf is allowed to wear the same robe day in and day out. Because I'm Gandalf like, has crap to do. Well, Gandalf is also like uh, so detached from humanity that he does not. Do such humanly functions as like the washing up. Yeah, no. There is, oh my god, when when the Lord of the Rings movies were coming out, talking about Lord of the Rings now. Lord of the Rings aside, (laughs) there were these uh, joke diaries written by the characters that my friend Megan and Mm -hmm. I were obsessed with Mm -hmm. um, that were incredibly sexually explicit. (laughs) They were basically like slash fanfic. But in those now we're diaries. talking about Lord of the Rings slash. <laughs> okay, this is great. Technically, this podcast is still not explicit. We haven't said anything. I believe we've said crap twice this episode, which is more than we've said. I'll, before. I'll keep it together from now on. Um, but in that, the running joke is that Gandalf becomes Gandalf the White because he finds a bottle of bleach, <laughs> and he cleans himself. Bleaches. Bleaches his hair, bleaches his clothes. It's great. Anyway, I don't know if these exist anymore. Those diaries are written by Cassandra Clare, who is now a very popular um, young adult literature author, fantasy author. Anyway, very secret diaries. Shout out. Those were, I mean, if we're going to talk about (laughs) weird fantasy sexual awakening stuff those were very confusing to read as I, see i never read 13 them year old like grace read them and my mom read them <laughs> also once uh, my friend megan and i were sitting at lunch in 
freshman year of high school uh-huh. and our um, principal was walking around just like spying on us <laughs> just keeping <laughs> an eye on us as principals do and I mean this is how different the world is today versus just 2003 but we had printed one of them out so that we could read it together at we school. It to school you gotta get in we so took it to much school, trouble and he looked over our shoulder as he was like what are you reading is this work or pleasure and I do not know what he saw on that page and then he just walked away from us <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's incredible. Because we were reading about gay sex between Fellowship of the Ring characters. I, I mean, it was... Oh, man, he must have just hit on one sentence and then been like, out, I'm I out. Bet, I mean, I bet we introduced <laughs> him this. to something that he didn't even know existed. Right away, he's like, I'm never world. walking up to two girls sitting alone at a table reading. Never again. It's what not worth it. What they're reading is not what you expect. <laughs> it's not what you expect. Oh. Um, segueing back into the book that we're supposed to be discussing. Dealing with dragons. There is no... Um, because Simrine is so interested in adventure and not romance, there mm-hmm. isn't romance in the book. And there isn't... Inter- there's attempted romance as How the knights try she? to save her. Um, I think she the, has uh, I mean, come of age. On the cover, the she looks like she's uh, an adult. Yes, uh, as always, we'll post a picture of the cover on our Twitter. Mm-hmm. On the edition but that we have. But that doesn't really mean anything. The, and the, the cover of this book is not um, depicting a moment from the book. It's Simmering puffing out her chest and standing she's up. Like she's sassing a dragon. Yeah, standing up to a dragon. Yeah. Um, I like the editions that we had as mm-hmm. kids. I Okay, so we had to buy one because these books had become lost to the ages. I think I lost them in college. Um, and when I was trying to find this version, it was really hard. And then I finally found something on Amazon that said it was the mass market edition. So I think that these were produced in bulk for schools or something special oh, like that. Okay. Um, and that's how we ended up with a copy of it. It's the Point Fantasy edition. Um, okay. Simmerine is just listed as the youngest daughter. Um, she's been trying her other non-princess lessons throughout her life. Let's see. She summoned her godmother when she was 16. Um, I think she's probably about 18. That's the usual kind of what age I was when, figuring. When a coming, coming of age fairy tale is set. I think the the mic's picking up the page turning. That's great. I was going to say, I think we need more page (laughs) sounds in this podcast. (laughs) Um, I think it's something. That wasn't pages. That was my mouth. Yeah. Don't be tricked. (laughs) Really sophisticated sound effect. (laughs) You're breaking up. (laughs) I can't hear you. Um, Yeah. I I think she's she's in her her traditional time to have an adventure age because i didn't assume that she was sexless i just assumed like you know it's not it's not a sexual book um but Mm -hmm. i kind of just assume that she is not really interested in sex maybe not yet um or it's just like not on her to-do list she's just got other things going on and you know either she's a late bloomer or Mm -hmm. she's taking a break Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, it's not what she cares about. Mm-hmm. She has so much to do. Otherwise, yeah. she does not yeah. have time for romance. And all the princes are idiots. Yeah, the you know, that might be a big part of it. The, the human men in this world are just... 
oh, slim pickings. So, and she she's so dismissive of them, but I get it, girl. Like yeah. these are the guys that you've been exposed to for and years. You're supposed to be into. And Therondel doesn't like her either. No. I mean, he's not interested in marrying her, yeah. and it does make much more sense that he ends up with the the very princessy princess, the yeah. one who's very interested in being a princess. Yeah, she's kind of a jerk. She is a jerk. Um, and it makes me so sad that they belittle Alianora and make her feel, I don't know, less less princessy than them. But just like high school. Just like high school, I know. Uh, and it's just, it's wonderful how Simrine doesn't even fit she doesn't take into it at all. Into she their, to, yeah. She's so far from their world that she is you know pretty much just shocking to them mm -hmm. like she isn't there a moment where she stuns them to silence yeah they don't say anything they yeah. just like but they're <laughs> they, they don't know what to do grapple with it because they're too well bred i think it the words are to uh show that they're shocked and like oh sorry i have grace to, is um... looking at a recipe for soup now i think <laughs> Really lost oh, I'm, I'm trying to do this in a really surreptitious way. I just have to. It's, it's not surreptitious. Soup. Okay, don't worry, don't worry about that. <laughs> Perfect segue into <laughs> pretend food. She did it on purpose. <laughs> My favorite part of the podcast. Um, I'm very invested in this book. I wasn't trying to. Uh, I wasn't trying to distract myself by looking at pictures of soup, which no, is what, was, you know, as we discussion. all know, which is what I do when I get bored, just soup. look at some soup until it gets soup. better. But pretend food. There is something important in this book that has, you know, haunted me throughout my life, which is I never knew what the hell Cherry's Jubilee I knew you was. Were gonna say that. And as a child, it fell into that category of Turkish delight from the Chronicles of Narnia. Where it was just something really magic um, and amazing. Yeah, where it it could never possibly match your imagination of what it is. It's the reality like, is never going to. It's like a, a pie. Right? Is never going to reach that pinnacle of delicious glory. A tart. No. Is it a cobbler? No. I still don't know what. Cherry Do you want to keep guessing what cherry stew? Okay, is? so I played a lot of Neopets growing up. And there is a cherry. I'm actually Jubilee. stunned. This is our first Neopet <laughs> <laughs> name drop. Thanks, Grace. Yeah, Grace. Grace was a avid player as well. Um, sometimes I still go on and just gaze at my riches that I've accumulated through my lifetime. I'm stunned. You're admitting. Grace is literally face palming. So there's a picture. There's a cherry's jubilee on Neopets. Really? An item. Yeah. Oh my god! I've never seen it. Well, I've seen it, and it's existed in that art for since I was a child. And the yeah. little picture is yeah. If Neopets um, employees, if you're out there, like, I know there's <laughs> like four of you at least. I salute you for continuing <laughs> to update this site. I think that they're chained to their desks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. I definitely. They or they're specters. Like they are. Yeah, they're ghosts, spirits. Like, Hovering through the server. <laughs> or benevolent spirits. I'm sorry, benevolent spirits. Um, Go ahead. It's just, it's a picture. It's going to be difficult to describe. It's just like shiny red orbs, and they're attached <laughs> to each other by shiny red sticks. So what? it looks like a kind of little, like, weird. Like a clump of cherries? 
a clump of cherries <laughs> no there's space between you know, the orbs the and tree. then they're attached to each other with sticks so it looks like like a weird little like funny shape or something that you'd yeah. see in like a 3d rendering yeah um yeah it sounds almost like a spell symbol or something yeah so i used to think that cherry's jubilee was just like some crazy nonsense <laughs> i am not ready for cherry's jubilee <laughs> And I still, I'm now I'm like, don't, do I even want to, okay, t- is it a, like a jam? Uh, somewhat, it's a little jammy. Um, it's a little jammy. So it's cherries that are simmered in sugar water with orange zest um, mm. until it, you know, they break down and I think there's like, you know, cherry flavoring added also just to make it a little cherry slop. Mm. And then cherry that's slop? <laughs> it is cherry slop. It's placed on Ooh. ice cream usually. Um like it's it's served as a topping and then brandy is put on top of it and set a a light. So it's one of those flaming desserts. Wait. <laughs> So, so it she's also, just making bowls of this stuff thing. and giving them to dragons, and they just make. eat it. Well, you know, it probably is a perfect dragon dessert because the flame they can set the brandy on fire themselves, and then it's ready. You know, right, right when they want to eat it, because the brandy burns off, so then it caramelizes and it leaves a nice little okay spectacle. That's not what topping. I thought, but okay. And the the Neopets picture makes even less sense now, I think. Yeah, I'm really sorry I keep laughing into my mic. Um yeah, that's that's why as you were describing that I was like, what are you talking yeah, about? Okay, I, we'll see if we can find the Neopets Cherry Jubilee. Well, I can image. definitely find a picture. I don't know if there's gonna be issues if we post like Neopets pictures on our Twitter though. Why? See, it's like a legal thing, copyrighted. I don't know. <laughs> share a picture on social media Madeline I slept through IP okay. law <laughs> I'll be honest this girl is in law school um, we should maybe cut this part out no no, no, no I'm leaving this to it. <laughs> okay so it does it is a little mystifying that she um, that this is the one thing she can make she makes the, the mousse and mousse. She can Maybe make she chocolate puts mousse. Jerry's Jubilee. Jerry's but Jerry's Jubilee Jerry is Simmerine's claim to fame. This is how she gets a job with Kazool. She says she can make Cherry's Jubilee. And among, you know, her other like bits and pieces of skills that she learned from the lessons she managed to uh, get in before her parents stopped her. Um, Do they ever mention that she puts it on the mousse? I don't think so. No. She just makes mousse no. for that big she just party makes once. Jubilee, yeah. yeah. And dragons probably can't. I don't know. I feel like ice cream would just melt instantly because they're so fiery toasty but yes cherries jubilee and chocolate mousse are the main stars of the book food wise a lot um, of chocolate and mousse. just like very arduous mousse production process yeah um, which i can imagine because the serving sizes for dragons are incredible and simrian has to carry them by the bucket full mm-hmm. over to the grand room where they're eating their dinner together um, it is, I mean, there's so many good visuals in this book. One of my favorites is, you know, Simrine just running around with buckets of mousse in her princess dress because she put it, put it back on and to serve them. And must be so heavy. That I is also, a dense food stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, mousse is not heavy. <laughs> I'm thinking of uh, ganache, actually. So okay. I'm, wow. Do you know what mousse is? <laughs> We're really learning a lot about Madeline's dessert deficiencies, which 
I'm stunned by because you love I'm a, desserts. I'm a, I'm a simple person when it comes to desserts. I like cookie dough and vanilla ice cream. Madeline's birthday was yesterday, and I'm our picture of that cake. Our mom engineered a um, yeah, just what I would call a magical feat. It's pretty exciting. Um, and created a, I mean, I'll call it a cake. I'll lo- loosely call it a cake it because there's cake. actually no cake within it. Um, that was raw cookie dough, ice cream, frosting, uh, pixie sticks, dust. Tootsie rolls. Tootsie rolls, licorice strings. It was about three feet tall. Um, it, it, had it was a, not three feet tall. It looks like a It was about mountain. one foot tall. <laughs> I mean, it, it was Candy Mountain, as our, as our mom titled it. Mm-hmm. Um, with a with a baked cookie base because it had to have something to hold it together. It but. looked a little like a baked Alaska. So you know, I guess this isn't quite as. Uh, I mean, obviously, you don't care about mousse because you have that in your life, um, so you don't need to think about other desserts. But yeah, I mean, I just. Are you angry now? <laughs> I'm just disappointed in myself that I this whole book. I was thinking of ganache. I have to go get some mousse now. And, all right. Get we'll we'll get night. back to you guys after we eat moose. I'll be I'll be I'm gonna go to the French bakery. <laughs> moose update. <laughs> uh, shout out to Bakery Nouveau in Capitol Hill, Seattle. Um, I don't think there's other food mentions. I think we can close pretend food. Um, yeah. Nothing other than tea that she has with the princesses. Yes. Yeah, so, um, and yeah. Morwin's cider. I'm forgetting Sounds about this cider. Good, yeah. They love that cider. Uh-huh. Kazool um, asks for it in a really cute way. After Morwin's like, okay, well, like that's everything. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, no. What about the cider? I haven't had any of your cider yet. <laughs> um, that also. Uh, that scene also offers us our requisite fantasy book cats. Cats, yeah, I love the cats. <laughs> they and they love the dragons. Like they, yeah. they Super like to get on the dragon. Which I mean, cats love things that they can Warm. sit on. Period. I I always thought of it as just the dragons must be radiating That's some a, heat. Yeah. That's good. Um, but like any cat, you know, if some large lumbering creature comes into their home and lies down, the cats are gonna go sit on it. Yeah, they're gonna be like, "This is mine now." <laughs> yeah, they. I mean, cats love anything that uh, that's being given attention yeah. by their humans. Mm-hmm. So, um, I do. I was curious what you, just how you feel about the dragons in this book, okay. um, because these dragons are very unique mm-hmm. um i find that in most fantasy it's it's rare to get something that's such a synthesis of the dragon as monster and the dragon as academic oh yeah that's true um and they really do occupy both of those i don't know dragon character dragon stereotypes they're in the middle of the dragon venn diagram (laughs) yeah they are um because they have their well they have their treasure troves but then they also have their libraries Mm -hmm. and they're very they're concerned with learning and with maintaining this knowledge they like sweets but then they also want to just chow down on a wizard from time to time and Mm -hmm. they can be they can be violent and brutal Mm -hmm. i mean simmering and alianora it's really fortunate that they figure out the fireproofing smell and make it because the two of them 
would would be dead yeah be killed which makes me think of the other princesses that met grisly fates yeah it's true because sometimes the dragons can't control their flames mm-hmm. yeah it's um, like a sneeze or you know just happens. which is which also explains why they live in caves as opposed to you know living uh, closer to the enchanted forest but i love these dragons i mean i think they're so much fun and super interesting mm-hmm. and they've led me to a lifelong obsession with dragons it really all started with these books because it was the first time that i thought of dragons as yeah just as falling into this role um i like them too i guess i would describe that like i just think of them as like they're we said this earlier they're very human-like they're like people dragons because they have human desires and um they they don't get too much they eat human food they obviously they eat you know wizards whatever too Mm -hmm. but they they really like the comforts of life Mm -hmm. and i just you know what they're really relatable dragons like they are relatable i want to sit down and have a beer with those dragons (laughs) i know (laughs) you really do just want to hang out with them i love that their daily lives consist of basically going through their books and things and then making errands to the enchanted forest check with check with a witch on something which i like um and i also think that the structure of their lives and of the book um lead to a similar feeling that we had at the end of howls Mm -hmm. where you feel very satisfied by the world and you don't feel sad that you're leaving and that you're ending your time with that um because most of the book is not adventuring most of the book is chilling in the caves which is just like life you know it's a lot We're it's a lot of in the prep caves. work it's a lot of <laughs> prep work for your missions it is um and i mean the the moments of action are interesting but there's also it's also mostly traveling too i mm-hmm. mean going yeah. to the enchanted forest walking through the caves of yeah fire and ice which helps to give the the plot a nice fluid forward motion it does and it also just allows for a different type of story Mm -hmm. one that isn't so concerned with these larger sweeping battles and uh, acts of magic Mm -hmm. because something like seeing Antarell gathering the dragon's mane in that meadow that Simreen and Eleonora discover. I mean, that scene is really, it always really has unsettled me, mm-hmm. and it did, again, rereading it. Mm-hmm. Um, not just because, uh, at first it feels frightening because the dragons don't go there because there aren't torch marks, so yeah. it's like, mm-hmm. okay, then what's wrong? Oops, it's yeah, in the middle of their home uh-huh. in the mountains of mourning. And they, dragon's mane is super toxic to dragon. Like, they... Yes. It is so bad. Yeah. I mean, Cimmerine had a single leaf. And uh, Kazul got a whiff of the smoke of the leaf, like, didn't even, you know, and she... And even with the antidote, then slept for days. Mm -hmm. Still became king, though, because Kazul is awesome. Um, But that scene, something so small as just them you know, going to look for uh, a fever few, mm-hmm. right, to yeah, yeah. finish their spell, or to make m- more because Warog has been angry and been mm-hmm. burning Eleanor. 
Um, and then just seeing a wizard and going back and telling Kazul about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not tedious. I mean, none of none of the moments of like cleaning and sorting are boring. And I think that's also because they're these incredible dragons' hordes. Yeah, and it just Patricia Reedy is just good at writing about mundane tasks in a way that's interesting and only tells you the parts that you are interested in in order to like fill you in on what this person is doing and doesn't get to like way into the nitty gritty of like you know well yeah there is I mean overall I think there's a really satisfying level of detail um, Mm -hmm. not just about the day-to-day lives but about the history Um, yeah and it really it feels real it feels like these events did happen and even though everyone's really grumpy about having to read um what is it historia yeah Dracorum. <laughs> it's uh yeah which is very dry and, and painful on the well finish your point and then i have a- uh it's just still i want to know more mm. um i'm invested well so uh, one thing i thought about when when I was reading this is um, a lot of fantasy books you know there is world building that goes into it but it often seems like the most important things in this world have happened in the past Mm -hmm. and like yeah things are getting stirred up again and it's because of these far-reaching ancient things that have been wrought but and it makes more sense that you said this book was written after the others as yeah. a prequel because it really does feel like history. Well, it was technically is... written second. Talking with talking to dragons was written first. Okay, right. I'm, I'm a bad listener. <laughs> Shame. <laughs> because it really does feel like history is happening in the book, mm-hmm. like as you're reading it's it. Being made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is which was really nice and felt very effortless and it. It should feel like that more in books, but it doesn't always, so I really liked that. I have another question. Oh, yeah, go ahead. So when Simmerine sets Derendil up with the other princess and says, like, go rescue her, and then does he kill that dragon? Right, yeah. I also thought about that. I was like, oh man, like, was that Kazul's friend that Sibrian just like said that guy to go no, murder I'm, them? No, I'm pretty sure it's addressed at some point because I think that princess is is the princess of one of the main dragons, like the ones that we know. Mm-hmm. I think they also say that there was some kind of discussion, or doesn't Sibrian say like, I'm sure that if you just talk to the dragon, it'll be fine. I don't know. I got the impression that she just sent him off to murder the dragon, and then I yeah. I mean that would be <laughs> that would be the expectation, but yeah. I but I really think that something else happens. Okay, we'll go with that then. The way death is handled in this book and just violence in general mm-hmm. is uh, kind of funny because it's very casual. Yeah. Um, there's not a lot of. I mean, Kazul grieves for King Tokaz after he's killed. But in terms of the dragons' eating habits, and I mean, maybe it all just plays into their perception of wizards, mm. but there's not a lot of uh, sadness there. Yeah, well, it just. Or even gravity. Yeah, it just seems pretty, yeah. pretty casual. Gravity, not sadness, it is casual. Um, so, adult readability. Mm-hmm. 
I do think that this, um, I mean, it's clearly a book for children. It's definitely the most targeted towards children of mm-hmm. any we've read. Yeah, yeah. I would say it's a younger skewing audience mm-hmm. than yeah. yeah most of the books. That it's we less have. complicated in terms of plot or undertones mm-hmm. or, um, you know, literary devices in general that are more yeah. for an older audience. I mean, Simmerine really talks through all of her thoughts. Mm-hmm. It, you know, shows her process mm-hmm. um, just as she's coming to different conclusions about what's going on with the wizards mm-hmm. and what she should talk to Kazul about and mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it, it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't annoying by any means. No, it's it's really enjoyable. I think I'm just trying to get across that yes, it is more um, focused on a child audience, but absolutely 100. percent It's very enjoyable for adults. I read it, and I am, you know, every one that we've read so far, you know, apart from Howl's, which doesn't have uh, sequels, but I've been really excited to be like, oh, I hope you know I have chance to read the succeeding ones, like the next ones. And this one I'm most excited because I don't remember it very well and I just had a really nice time reading this book and I'm excited to get more into the universe and like keep hanging out with these characters and seeing where it all goes. Well, and that's one way in which it can be read as not a children's book. There is a very complicated world Mm -hmm. um, that all of these characters are living in Um, and we're you know clearly on the tip of something larger with mm-hmm. the wizards and with the upset of the uh, dragon king um and a new king taking control mm-hmm. i the enchanted forest itself is one of my favorite parts of the enchanted forest chronicles mm-hmm. um and we haven't spent that much time there yet mm-hmm. and th- it is a more frightening force and um again just more complex mm-hmm. place um, that uh, I, I would be excited to read more mm-hmm. about from an adult perspective. Yeah, you know, this book really felt uh, like a video game to me because it is such a tangible, like you can really eat this world. Mm-hmm. It yeah. There's so much there that feels really concrete mm-hmm. and maybe since it is very task oriented as well it feels like a, a video game you know well, quest and reward style layout and I think because the level of detail is there and the the traveling like the movement of bodies mm-hmm. through this mm-hmm. space is very clearly documented I mean Patricia mm-hmm. C. Reedy like shows her work yeah you know how I would know how to get yeah <laughs> through the caves and also um the character types are so well they're concrete you, you can see all four corners of the each each different type you know wizards are this humans are this princesses are this dragons are that you know like it just feels very um game-like in that mm. there are you know what to expect from a character when you beings. meet them because of who they are or what yeah. they are yeah um yeah i agree well and i was going to say that for anyone interested in spending more time in the Enchanted Forest, um, in addition to this series, uh, Patricia C. Reedy published a collection of short stories hmm. um, called The Book of Enchantments, mm. and there's a really funny story in it about um, about Simmerian and Daystar and Mendenbar, um, their family. Uh, Encountering a frying pan of doom and having a tourney to try to find a knight who can wield it. 
That's great. Um, and uh, there is another story in that collection that's set in the Enchanted Forest oh. also that's just not about any of the other characters. Um, yeah, it is. It's one of those fun fantasy environments where things aren't what they seem, mm-hmm. and they can shift on their own. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's very difficult to navigate. Um, it's super cool that Morwen lives there. Yeah. Um, I do wonder. I wonder if the witches are similar to the wizards in that they need to learn about and work with external magical forces as opposed to possessing something within themselves. I mean a witch in a witch seems to me more like an academic. Yeah. Um and just the way Morwen works and the way that she talks to Kazul and but to yeah, Samarian. That also uh, that that makes sense because it would it would make wizards more despicable and non-pitiable if mm-hmm. they're choosing the easy way instead right. of understanding instead of how to gain magic and use it. Right, because everyone just else steal can perform spells, yeah. but mm-hmm. they just create these little magic bombs mm-hmm. in their staffs and yeah. then just spray that around. They're such jerks. Wizards suck, people. Wizards, yeah. yeah, I would be... And they're also just condescending yeah. in every mm-hmm. possible way. And Simmering instantly recognizes that if she pretends to be a fool, they will expect her mm-hmm. to be a fool. And she and gets she away get, with yeah. really, really, uh, you know, things that another person would be like, okay, like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. The fact that Antarell is like, oh, you're just gathering flowers. Go ahead, little ladies. I mean, they're ready to play into that. So, I mean, I talked about this influence on me a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, These books are the reason that I love dragons so much that this podcast is even called Dragon Babies. Mm Um, and I feel like I've never found a group of dragons that I've been more interested in spending, you know, literary or personal <laughs> time with. Hang out with my dragons. Um, they are funny and they each have their own personality. Um, and I just like their approaches to life. I mean, they're they're scholars and warriors. Like, it doesn't yeah. really get mm-hmm. cooler. A well-rounded that. class. <laughs> it's true. It's a good character build. It's true. Um, would you say that these books are formative in your own dragon approach? So, in going with the the this book, um, at least this series feels like a video game to me. These books were helpful for me. Uh, in starting to sort of be like, oh, I can make up my own fantasy universes in my head and flesh it out because, um, like you were saying, she shows her, her mm-hmm. work. Yeah. Um, it just sort of shows you how you can like put together these conceptions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that they were really important for me in that regard, especially because I was young when I read, like, these might have been some of the first... Mm-hmm. Uh, chapter books yeah that I read um which was really awesome so I really appreciate that I mean they inspired me to write Mm -hmm. as a young kid and I still want to revisit that because my book was about a group of dragons that have pretty much the same characteristics Mm -hmm. less I would say less violent and more um nerdy just mm-hmm. because that's who I was yeah. as a child, <laughs> not, a, not a violent young young woman yeah I mean it, it makes you want to write and yeah. read and mm-hmm. just yeah exist in fantasy worlds even a little bit more than yeah. 
I already do. <laughs> so yeah, definitely highly recommended. Yeah. Um, and I'd say that I've always loved fractured fairy tales. Um, I think that they are super entertaining and um, satisfying. Mm -hmm. And uh, this one inspired me to seek others out, and we're going to cover some of those too. Um, but I will mention ones that we're not going to cover just because they're they're short. But Gail Carson Levine wrote a series of. Um, series of versions of classic fairy tales that came in these really beautifully illustrated mm -hmm, books. Um, books just sharp and uh, fast paced mm -hmm. um, and I really enjoyed those there's one of the the girl she gets the jewel talking right yeah, yeah she's struck mm -hmm. by the yeah. common curse of the bug speaking uh, yeah speaking jewels or speaking yeah. bugs or speaking roses those are which really is also mentioned bugs. in dealing with dragons yeah, yeah yeah those are really fun bugs also highly recommend uh, but they are quite short so they yeah they're just quick, suitable for quick little quick little mm -hmm. bites i do not have a tattoo from this book <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> No, working on it. A dragon tattoo is an excellent tattoo. I do think it's hard to come up with the exact dragon physicality that you are looking for. Well, it's the I kind mean, of thing where it's so always going to be more magnificent forms. in your head to than and, what it looks like on paper. And or dragons on skin. have been illustrated since ancient mm -hmm. times, um, and I love all the different iterations of what a dragon might look like mm -hmm. the one on the on our cover and the ones that are on the covers of the of our set of books mm -hmm. that we grew up with um are pretty i mean it's like probably what you think of when you just hear dragon it's like the dragon emoji <laughs> yeah well <laughs> a and distilled also dragon body that's like a little bit little bit reptilian um little dinosaur like it's actually quite medieval like it looks like something yes. you'd find in a manuscript it does it does look especially it does the look expression strange. yeah um so yeah check out the cover on our twitter and see if you if you prefer this to um the other dragons on the other cover versions what i've dragon seen a ton you of prefer? different things like what does your dragon look like <laughs> let us know i want to know uh, or just sketch a little quick dragon like I did for our podcast image and <laughs> send it our way. <laughs> so I think that wraps it up. I just want to go read more Enchanted Forest yeah. Chronicles now. Yeah, no, that's um, that's everything for me too. So which I probably will do. Mm -hmm. So hope you enjoyed dealing with dragons, and we'll see, we'll you, see you next time. Next time, bye bye. If you'd like to learn more about Dragon Babies, you can find us online at dragonbabiespodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at dragonbabiespod. That's the first syllable of podcast. The music in this podcast is Pippin the Hunchback by Kevin McLeod. It's licensed under the Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license, and you can find his music at incompetech.com.